Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Sophia Weiss is the owner of Firebird Farms, a ranch nestled in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains outside of Ashland. But you won't see any beef cattle or lambs grazing on her 200-acre property. Instead, you'll find a herd of Tibetan yaks. Weiss started nine years ago with a pair she purchased off of Craigslist. Now the herd numbers more than 80. In October, Weiss was awarded a USDA grant of nearly $235,000 to market and develop a range of new products made from her yaks. It was one of 10 similar grants to other small Oregon farms that were all announced in the spring. Weiss is now using that money to work with mills in the Pacific Northwest to process yak wool. She joined us in April to talk about all of this. I started by asking what she was doing before she became a yak rancher. Oh, boy. I um, I had graduated with a degree in sustainable business and then got a job. At, I ended up being a marketing director for a while at a software company. So um, that's where I was before raising yaks. Did you like that job? I did. Um However, I've always wanted a farm, and I'd, that was a childhood dream of mine. And when I was able to get land during that job, um, that's when it kind of began. You always wanted to have a farm. Did you always want to have this kind of a farm? I mean, to raise no. Tibetan yaks? <laughs> I didn't even know you could raise them in, in the United States. Huh. Um, so that was not... Um, an option for me in my dream planning. But um, yeah, I, I didn't know what kind of animals I would raise. They just sort of fell into my lap. How? How does a Tibetan yak fall into one's lap? Um, I suppose I've always had an inquisitive mind when it comes to uh, rare things and species that, that have a certain niche in an environment. So um, when I needed to secure water rights on the property, I needed a grazing animal and something that didn't uh, require management or oversight because I had a desk job. And yeah, just that random Craigslist ad. <laughs> Do you remember what the, what the ad said? I don't. I remember it was a bit shady because it had a stolen photo from a different <laughs> ranch once I started doing all the investigation. Um, but yeah, the, it, it ended up being fine. The The person who owned these animals just didn't know how to use um, the computer. So it was uh, a bit of a an adventure finding them. Man, it, it sounds um, to me sort of terrifying going from not being a farmer, not knowing how to take care I'm, unless did, did you know already how to raise and take care of livestock or did you just go from zero to two yaks just overnight uh probably i was at about five percent knowledge base <laughs> okay so. well how, <laughs> how did you do it how did you start oh man it's been a crazy journey um I had a good mentor starting out and um, who from afar could walk me through uh, situations. But yeah, I had no knowledge, no infrastructure. Um, there's very little out there online about raising yaks and I had no ranching experience. So yeah, it was a big learning curve. <laughs> what were those first two yaks like? 
uh, I was so fortunate to get them. Um, they were not tame. I still have Whisper. She's my herd queen. Um, she's getting older now, but they were from a really great, uh, reputable breeder and, um, they were kind of docile, but not tame at all. And, um, I just sort of gave them, uh, space and respect. And now Whisper will eat out of my hand and let me walk all around her. And she's super gentle. <laughs> How did you go from those two to 80 or 90? Uh, um, well, I had the first baby, Rinchen, who's my best friend, Yak. Um, and then I ended up doing more research, visiting ranches, researching genetics. And I just started slowly building my herd. I think I went up to seven. Then I remember there being a, a window of time where I had about 24 and yeah, it's been a it's been a quest because the gene pool is so small. So I started um, in what with what's available in North America. So I started doing a lot of research and acquiring yaks from Nebraska, um, Colorado, Montana, Idaho, um, all over. What have you been looking for? I mean, what would for example send you to Nebraska or Idaho? What do you see about a yak or know about a yak that makes you say, I, I want to bring that one into my herd? Well, there's uh, two things, genetics and phenotype. So yaks are a primitive species rather than a breed, and they have a variety of different looks to them. So they can be um, all different body shapes, different style uh, and type of hair and um, harvestable down fiber that grows underneath their outer hair. So there's what's called super woolies or extreme woolies where they're just they look like a woolly mammoth bear. And they're beautiful. They're a lot of maintenance. And then there's everything down to like a really um, short-coated yak. And then there's the size and the and and how vigorous they grow. And then there's you know the ge genetic component as well. So, and I are had you a looking plan. for all of that? I mean, you you don't just want one f and phenotype. That's just the, the way genes express themselves, right? That's the the way an animal's body looks, the way it, its its body is formed. You don't just want one look of a yak? I don't. I actually like the diversity. I have certain types of um, conformation and size and things that I like to have in the herd to make um, the most multi-purpose animal. But I like the diversity because that's one of the beautiful things about them is they, they have so much diversity within one species. Hmm. You said that... Um the one of one of the um, yaks that you got from that first pair is Rinchen, who you said is your best friend yak. What, <laughs> yeah, what, that's the daughter. The yeah. daughter. Well, so, what is she like? Um, we just have this kind of bond. I have a lot of uh, tame yaks in the herd and a lot of really sweet ones, but I can just go lay with her in the summer. If she's taking a nap, I can just lay on her. I can sit on her in the pasture. She's very, she's a little bit of a diva, but she's really mellow with me and she just puts up with a lot. <laughs> what, what is, um, what is a yak 
diva like? <laughs> they just beat to their own drum. They'll just be really enjoyable one second, and then they'll just kick up their heels and flash their tail and kind of romp around like a crazy ballerina. They're just hilarious. Hmm. So they they have very different personalities. Um, all of the other different yaks in your herd. Yeah, I tell I tell folks that want to get into yaks that they're just like people. The the range of temperaments is just like any population. So yeah, you can have everything from your kind of like little bookworm that's sitting off in the corner kind of staring off into the distance and then and then you have your really friendly ones and and the ones you kind of watch out for are the ones that I I don't keep hmm. in my herd. <laughs> um my understanding is that you, not too long ago, acquired some yaks from the 80s movie action star Steven Seagal. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, um, it's just such a funny story. But um, yeah, he had a ranch that was for sale just about an hour south of me in Montague, California. And um, there were there was a herd of hundred yaks on that ranch that had just been pretty much unmanaged for, um, uh, a while. That wasn't the intention, but you know, the ranch, uh, he's not, no one was really there for a while. And, and the ranchers had, um, claim to the grazing land for cattle yaks were kind of unwanted there anymore. And, uh, yeah, rounding them up by the help of some cowboys. It was, it was a, quite an adventure. How are Steven Seagal's yaks doing now? It seems like they went sort of feral. What's the status now? Um, they actually, what's so fascinating about yaks, because even if they kind of go wild like that, as that um, experience taught me, they can be tamed up again if they're, you know, um, they're good personality. So a lot of them went to some small farms in um, Oregon, Washington, some of the white ones went to um, Wyoming. And so, yeah. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with Sophia Weiss, a yak rancher near Ashland. We're talking about what it means to be a yak rancher. We're talking because she is one of 11 small-scale farmers or ranchers all across Oregon um, who got grants to expand their businesses in various ways. The grants were awarded from the USDA back in October. They were announced last month just to give folks a sense for what some of the other grantees are doing. Um, Zena Forest is a farm in Rick Reel, Oregon. They got about $250,000 to expand the marketing and processing of raw logs into wide planked engineered flooring. Um, other grantees are doing bison or growing blueberries or um, creameries or making cheese or making olive oil. Sophia, so back to you and, and yak farming. What are you going to be doing exactly with this grant? Yeah, so this project is really exciting. Uh, we have previously focused on the meat component of raising yaks, as well as um, we have a breeding herd. So we we sell starter herds every year. But um, this project is fun because I've been collecting the fiber that they shed every year. I've been saving the hides from the butcher process and these gorgeous skulls and bones and horns. And so 
pretty much making a wide range of products out of these you know, byproducts of the butcher process and also just what they produce every year in terms of fiber. And so, so and so you've already had that as an idea, but but with this grant, you'll be able to actually expand the the ways that you can market or sell these other products. We've just done it to a, a really small scale so far. Um, there's so much processing involved and also, you know, marketing, which which is what the grant helps with. Um, so we're going to be doing different kinds of hair on and then yak leather with the hides and um, different kinds of yarn with the down and then what they call the drop, which is the outer coat fiber and um, decorated skulls and and brooch print pins and things like that. What does it take to process the fiber, the wool of a yak? I mean, it seems like the way you're describing it, first of all, there there are just different layers of wool on a single animal. Yeah. Um, if someone's familiar with a really fluffy dog that sheds every year, it's kind of like that. Um, they have an undercoat that is a layer of down that they shed every spring. And that is what is really desirable for these high-end luxury wearables. It's like soft like cashmere, but breathable like merino, but it doesn't have lanolin. It's just really amazing. But then they have like a mid coat and an outer coat. And those are very strong, durable fibers. So those that has a, a set of applications completely different from the, the down that they shed. Hmm. So what's your dream? I mean, what do you hope to be doing or selling, say, five years from now that you're not doing right now? Riding yaks. <laughs> That, that's a, such wait, a that's great a, that's a thing. Animal. People can ride yaks. That's a thing. You totally can. I mean, yaks have sustained life in the Himalayas for centuries by transporting goods from you know remote region one area to another um, in really harsh terrain, and you can use them for packing and riding. And I would love to get some yaks trained up for that. Hmm. What are your days like at the ranch? in this season, in the spring? I mean, what are you doing right now and what are the yaks doing right now? Um, spring is all about babies. It's probably it's probably my favorite time of year. I spend a lot of time checking on the calves and imprinting them for tameness and um, just making sure the moms are well-fed and happy. How do you imprint... Uh, a baby yak, a calf for tameness? Uh, very carefully, depending upon how tame the mother is, because it, it all depends on how close you can get to the baby. So that's why I love having tame moms that let me go up to the baby just right away. And um, mostly just getting them used to human touch and um, to not jump jump away, you know, that I'm not a predator. Hmm. Um, you speak with a lot of tenderness about these animals. I mean, you talked about one of them as as your your best friend, Yak. But this is also <laughs> a business, and and some of these are destined to be people's dinners. Some of them are destined to to just join herds and, and 
um, at other businesses. How do you deal with both of those, with, um, with slaughtering animals or selling them and having them no longer be a, a part of your herd? It's really a challenge. You know, I have to look at the bigger picture. Um, I was raised a Buddhist, so definitely the butchering part has a, a I have a, a very deep way of looking at that. Um, I think they are a species deserving of being raised more in the United States. So while, first of all, selling the breeding stock, you know, I, I fall in love with them, but they go off to great homes and I, I work really hard to find good homes for them. And then with the butcher animals, I typically let them kind of find their path in life. If they have a good temperament, I'm going to try to place them with a pet or breeding home. And if they don't, they go into the butcher program. Hmm. You noted at the very beginning um, that you studied sustainable business and, and went into that before um, you became a yak rancher. What does sustainability mean to you in the context of ranching? I think that's a good question and something that people are really looking at a lot right now in agriculture, which is kind of this notion of regenerative farming and giving back to the land in order to continue sustaining itself. And that's kind of my focus these days is really figuring out a pasture rotation and a way to, you know, give nutrients back to the pastures and to really improve the land more rather than um, just using it. Well, in in that sense, how do yaks compare to cattle, which, you know, have to dwarf them in terms of, of acreage and pounds of meat by an order of, I don't know, I'm guessing 10,000 or more in this country. What, what are yaks like in terms of their impact on the land? Um, I definitely couldn't do what I'm doing with the yaks with cows. Um, we have really heavy clay soil here, and this year has been especially challenging, but the smaller size of the yaks is just less impact on the land, period. So per, you know, per animal, their hooves are smaller, they're, you know, half the size of a cow sometimes, and um, they're just an environmentally friendly option, especially for smaller holdings. And um, they're just, they're more efficient in their rumen, they're, they're easy grazers. So uh, I think they're an easy animal to use in these systems. Is there an increase in, in interest in raising yaks in the U.S. right now? Absolutely. Yeah, I kind of equate it to uh, the bison industry like 30 years ago because you can find bison in a lot of grocery stores now for the meat. But, you know, the yak world is just um, right behind it, I think. And a lot of people are getting into raising yaks. What advice do you wish you had gotten um, the day that you purchased that first pair in 2014? Oh. You need good fences and you need a way to catch them. <laughs> <laughs> Start with the basics. Keep them in. Get them and keep them in. Yeah, you need a, you hadn't, you need a, you a corral. Been, you didn't even have that advice when, when you had your yaks? Yeah. So with cattle and yaks, you have what's called a chute and a and a containment system. And I did not have those things. And I didn't even have a corral. So, I mean... Did they goodness. just end up in your neighbor's yard? Oh, a couple times. 
<laughs> yeah, they've ended up various places. But um, yeah, in order to, you know, take care of them medically, if there, if anything went wrong, you know, you need a way to catch them. Sophia Weiss, it was a real pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on this grant uh, and uh, and best of luck. Thank you. Thanks so much. Sophia Weiss is the owner of Firebird Farms, a yak ranch outside of Ashland. We talked in April. Here's something we're working on for a future show. If you're an educator who is also neurodivergent, we'd love to talk with you about your experiences both in the classroom and in the education system more broadly. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-293-1983, or you can email us, thinkoutloud at opb.org. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC this week. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great weekend. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, and Michael, Kristen, Andrew, and Anna Kern. Think Out Loud and OPB's critical reporting from all across the Northwest happen only with the support of our members. Do your part now and join in as a sustainer at opb.org pod.